Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome. It's close to midnight Something evil's lurking in the dark Under the moonlight You see a sight that almost stops your heart You try to scream Oh, but terror takes a sound before you make it Yeah Start to freeze as horror looks you right between your eyes. You're paralyzed. Cause this is thriller, thriller night. And no one's gonna save you from the beast about to strike. You know it's thriller, thriller night. You're fighting for your life inside a killer thriller tonight. Preacher, that was a familiar song, Thriller, but it was the 1930s jazz cover by Scott Bradley's Postmodern Jukebox featuring Wayne Brady from the 2018 album The Essentials 2, available on Apple Music. So yeah, anyway, you, you to listen to that great classic. You threw me for a second. He said 1930s. Wait a minute. It's like, <laughs> Are you saying Michael Jackson did the cover of the original 1930s version? No, no, no. <laughs> Well, happy Halloween. Here we are yeah. at episode 62. Yes, happy Halloween. This episode going out, what, about mid-month, a little earlier than last month. So it's been only, really, it seems like less than a month since the last episode, but we wanted to make sure we got this one out early enough in the Halloween season, celebrating, and, and as you and I both do, a stack of movies to watch, as if we don't watch scary movies the rest of the year. Exactly. But- Hopefully by the time this episode posts, we've got some cooler fall weather. You and I were commiserating about that before we recorded. It ain't feeling like fall out there yet. Hopefully maybe some big Arctic blast will come down and we'll get some frost on the pumpkin before the month is up. That would be nice. You mentioned watching movies all the time. Yes, but I don't watch one every day like I do through the month of October. So that is quite a chore. Uh, Not a chore. I love it. But it, it is out of the ordinary. It is unusual. It is something special we do for October. And we'll probably talk about that later, I suspect. I suspect so. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's introduce ourselves. I was going to say, we should probably <laughs> say who we are. Uh, speaking of blogs and such, I am Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. And I'm Richard Chamberlain from KCCinephile.com and MonsterMovieKid.wordpress.com. Welcome to this month's meeting of the Classic Horrors Club podcast, where we are going to discuss... Something a little different, but definitely appropriate and kind of fun. Richard, you want to tell us about it? Yes, this month uh, we are going to take a look at the thriller television series, the original thriller, so to be, so so to speak, so to be, 1960 to 1962, hosted by the legendary Boris Karloff. I think it's a series that I think everyone's aware of, but I'm not sure that everyone has seen thriller or maybe seen all the episodes of thriller i think a lot of people have seen random episodes i know for me thriller was a show that was kind of hard to watch growing up i remember when we first got cable in 78 thriller was on channel 41 out of kansas city 
but it was all like four o'clock in the morning. Back then we didn't have a, a VHS player, so I couldn't record it. And I couldn't get up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Thriller. And only then it was only on for a little bit and then they took it off. Thriller was something I'd read about in books, but I didn't get a chance to, to actually see any episodes of Thriller until I think the 1990s. For some reason, I'm thinking Thriller was on the Sci-Fi Channel, maybe, late night. But I saw random episodes of the series, some of the Boris Karloff uh, back in the day. But other than that, Thriller was something that, uh, that kind of eluded me. I bought the box set several years ago from, I think, Image Entertainment. It's a great box set, but it's been sitting on my shelf untouched until this last couple of weeks. And now that I've dived into it, it's a lot of fun. So I think this will be something fun for a lot of people, introducing them to something and maybe inspiring them to to seek out the show, which might be harder than it really should be. We'll talk about that, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to pick I can't say it's my two favorite episodes because you and I haven't seen the complete series, but we picked two random episodes. I'm going to do two. You're going to do two. And we're going to talk about that and then talk about all things about the series and some little tidbits and stuff about Boris Karloff. It's sure to be a thriller. I'm one of those people, Richard, that had not seen it. I think it's overshadowed by Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. You just, at least I had never really heard much about thriller. I've watched maybe one episode before we did this. It's one that you happen to watch, so I may have a comment or two about that. I just didn't ever get into it. So this was fun and definitely makes me want to watch more. I can tell you that it's a series that is unique because if you start at the very beginning, you might wonder what's the hype all about. It's a show that, as we'll talk about, went through a lot of changes. But once it got going... I can tell you that as I made my way through, I saw 18 episodes of the show to prepare for this. And I'm going to talk about the ones that I've seen. I can tell you most of the ones I've seen come from like the horror period of the show. And I was impressed by virtually all of them. As with any anthology series, there's always going to be hit and miss. I was going off to some lists and watching what is generally considered some of the best of the sh- of the show. So far, I've been really impressed. It's a show that has got some great music. It's a lot of familiar faces, which is always fun watching shows from this time period. You're like, you recognize this person, that person. When you're older, like Jeff and I and grew up in that era of television, it's kind of fun to see some familiar faces acting sometimes differently or sometimes exactly. For example, Mrs. Howell, Natalie Schaefer, I've only seen her in a few things, and whenever I see her, she's always Mrs. Howell. So I'm beginning to think that may be who Natalie Schaefer was. That just might be her persona. We have those things that sit on our shelves, and we never make it. And so when you finally crack something open, you're like, why didn't I watch this sooner? It's kind of that way with Thriller. I was like, why did it take me so long to finally start it? And I think it's going to be something that Carl and I are going to fit in during the course of the month. You know, we've got a big stack of movies to watch, but... Sometimes you might only have time for an hour show in the, in the course of an evening. You might watch a movie and like, well, we don't want to start another movie. We're going to be sticking in an episode of Thriller. Before we start, let's open up our old business section. And Richard, you said you have some old business this month. So, yeah, we've covered some great movies the last several months on the show. And we always try to 
mention where you can see them, what's the best home video version. A couple of things have popped up on Shudder. Now, we talked about Messiah of Evil back in August. Yes, August, our our last month of the drive-in. And we did mention, I think, at the time that it was on Shudder. It's on a few other different services. Well, now you have an even more fun way, a cooler way to watch it. Last weekend, as we record this, the uh, Elvira special was on Shudder. Elvira's 40th anniversary, very scary, very special special, if I got that right. And she did four movies, hosting just kind of old school Elvira. She did Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. She did House on Haunted Hill, uh, City of the Dead, and Messiah of Evil. Kind of a cool way. It's your chance to watch Messiah of Evil if you haven't seen it. And have Elvira kind of going old school. And it's a B movie. I think we you know, we said it's not a perfect film, but it's fun. And so she gets to do some of her Elvira shtick and talk about the inadequacies of the movie and highlight some of the stuff. And The Devil's Reign. We covered that last month in Satanic September. It is now on Shutter. If you've got the service, it's there for you to watch. I think they added it about mid-month. You know, sometimes those movies kind of come and go on Shutter. But I double checked as we were getting ready to record, and it is still on Shutter, so it should be there the entire month of October. Devil's Reign's a creepy, fun film, as we talked about last month. Two ways to see it: if you're paying for Shutter, then you've already got two movies. Check out Shutter if you haven't. That's my old news. Well, thank you for that. Part of old news is also to announce the roll call of new members. We'll just pass right on by that this month, Um, but we do invite you to join our Facebook group page, the Classic Horse Club Podcast, and on that, we did get quite a bit of feedback of The Devil's Reign. That is a popular movie. People do like that movie. We also have an email that came into our inbox at classichorrors.club at gmail.com. It is from Vincent Simonelli, and he says, hey, Richard and Jeff. I just finished your satanic episode and heard that you'll be looking at the Boris Karloff anthology thriller for the month of October. Thriller gets a lot of love from Monster Kids, mainly because of Dear Boris, but also for childhood memories of such episodes as The Cheaters, Pigeons from Hell, and of course, The Incredible Dr. Marcuson. What we often forget until we start to go through the 67 episodes of Thriller over two seasons is that for every episode like Parasite Mansion, there is a child's play. For every well of doom, there is the big blackout. The first season of Thriller, before they decided to emphasize the horror supernatural elements, can be a real slog. The tedious crime dramas are about as far away from thrilling as you can get. The advice I give to anyone first watching the episodes is hang in there, it will get better. That being said, once you have watched all the episodes, there really isn't any reason to subject yourself to claptrap like worse than murder again. In fact, without the novelty of being new, they can be decidedly worse the second time around. It reminds me of the Longfellow poem about the girl, little girl with the curl. The good episodes are very good, and the poor episodes are very poor. There's a blog spot that can be a lot of fun when you're going through the episodes called athrilleraday.blogspot.com. It has comments on each episode by such people as Gary Gerani and David J. Show. The comments are terribly amusing, and they rate each episode with one half to four Karloff heads. Great to read after you watch an episode. And Richard, wait until you get to The Grim Reaper, the last episode of season one. The Shat has never been better. 
Thank you, Vincent, for that very detailed email. We, on the Facebook group page, told people, and of course, if they listened to the last episode, they would have heard, to let us know their favorite episodes. And we have a couple other people that commented. Matt Helm's favorite episode is Mr. George. And James McCarthy's favorite episode is Jack the Ripper. Thank you all very much for contributing and sharing your favorite episodes. When you talk about not every episode being a thriller, so to speak, I think you can say that about any anthology series. I mean, Twilight Zone has got some really good classic episodes. Everyone always talks about, you know, certain episodes. But, you know, over the course of what, five seasons in the original Twilight Zone, there were some stinkers along the way. One of my least favorites was The Bewitching Pool. You know, I think that's one of the last episodes. Once you make your way through an entire series, then it's always fun to go back and then revisit maybe Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, or I want to go back and, and revisit the Living Doll or Talking Tina episode of Twilight Zone. I think that's the same way with Thriller. You make your way through 67 episodes, and then you'll go back and revisit some of the ones, as he mentioned, The Grim Reaper, which is one I will be talking about and almost covered on this show. Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper is another one that I saw and, and was certainly very good. The bad ones that he mentioned, I did see one of those and I will be talking about Child's Play. And he is right. If I don't see that one again, I'll be okay. It's, it, I didn't hate it, but it, it's kind of like a movie, right? If you've got an anthology movie, you got five stories, whatever. There's always one of the bunch that tends to be the stinker most times. You can call 616-649-2582, which equates to 616-649-CLUB. Let's get into the meat of our episode and talk about Thriller. Rich, start us out. Give us a little background, a little history. I'm going to go back pre-Thriller because, you know, everyone talks about Boris Karloff and Thriller and the anthology series, but he actually did four anthology series, one of which I wasn't even aware of until I started doing some research. 1949, September to December specifically, Karloff did a series called Starring Boris Karloff for ABC Radio and Television. It later became known as Mystery Playhouse, starring Boris Karloff. It was a radio show. And then that same week, the episode would be adapted for television. Unfortunately, nothing exists from this series for us to sample. It only ran for 13 episodes. Karloff was the host. He starred in at least one episode. But beyond that, nothing exists from either the radio or the television show. 1949 television, obviously infancy of of the early days of TV. And if anything exists from that era, they're called kinescopes, basically recordings from a camera, essentially, like, you know, like, or you're looking at a TV screen. But there's a lot of early television shows that don't exist. They just weren't kept. And if the kinescopes weren't kept, then they're presumably lost forever. If anything exists from this series, I couldn't find any reference to it online. 1958, Karloff did a second anthology series called The Veil. This was another kind of mysterious show for a lot of years. Twelve episodes were produced in 1958 by Hal Roach Studios. Yes, the same Hal Roach behind Laurel and Hardy and The Little Rascals. He had gotten into television in the 1950s with, again, Karloff as the host, 
this time Karloff acted in all but one of the episodes. So he was featured in pretty much every episode. Now, 11 of the 12 episodes were never broadcast. Essentially, everything was made and then it just kind of got shelved. Some of this was due to problems within Hal Roach Studios. They also had a co-production deal with another company and that deal got canceled. And so the series just kind of ended up being in limbo. One of the shows that's technically considered part of the 12 did get aired on television. It was the pilot episode called The Vestress, and it actually aired on a TV series called Telephone Time. So it's technically not The Veil, but it's considered part of The Veil series. That is available. It's out on YouTube. It is not the best copy on YouTube, but at least it's a sample of what it could look like if it was a little better. Depending on which version, if you have one of the early box sets of The Veil, uh, Something Weird Video put out a DVD box set in the early days of DVD, and they only had 10 episodes on that. They didn't have the other two, and they did not have The Vestress. A later box set of The Veil was released, and it does include the other two episodes, including The Vestress. It is out there. And again, it's, it's out for free on YouTube. You can get a sample of it. That was the pilot. Other than that, the series never aired. Footage from several episodes were edited into two made-for-TV movies in the late 1960s. I think it was Jack the Ripper. And the other one I know for sure was called Destination Nightmare. Those popped up on VHS back in the uh, 1990s. And I don't remember the name of the company, but they're the same company that put out the uh, four Mexican Boris Karloff movies. They had a specific kind of cover design, but those were made for TV movies that circulated in late night television in the 1970s. So the only episode Karloff didn't appear in was the Jack the Ripper episode. That was actually not even produced by Hal Roach Studios. It was made by another studio, apparently maybe as a potential pilot for another show. I don't know the history behind that weird episode, but Hal Roach purchased it and ended up putting it in as part of the veil. And the episode, Karloff introduces it, but he doesn't actually star in it. What's amazing about The Veil is that for a long time, it wasn't even really talked about. A lot of people didn't even think that it existed. And then when Something Weird Video put it out, the prints are actually really amazing for a show that never even aired on TV. It's a pretty good series. I I really enjoyed it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Pretty easy to find out there, I think, now. It gives you an idea of where things were headed in a couple of years when Boris Karloff becomes the host for Thriller. The budget isn't quite there, so they're half-hour episodes. The writing is probably not as up to par. You don't have necessarily a lot of familiar faces like you do in Thriller. But it was a sampling of things to come. I remember when it came out 20 years ago, there was a buzz about it because this was a show that had been, it was Boris Karloff and it had been previously unavailable for so long. That is available on Amazon Prime. Most of the episodes start off with Karloff sitting by a fire. There's a couple where he's like in a study, but most of them have the same setting. So 1960, Thriller launches on television with Karloff as the host. This time, this was the start of a two-season run. 
in long seasons, we, we get over the course of two seasons, we get 67 episodes, which is kind of crazy. I mean, you think about Star Trek, for example, had 79 episodes over the course of three seasons. Even then, they were doing a lot of episodes back then. We're in an era now where we do much shorter television shows, seasons. That's kind of becoming the norm. TV season now for a lot of shows may be anywhere between 10 to 13 episodes. I think 13 episodes is a really good run for a serial format. It's really hard to kind of keep a serialized format over the course of 22 episodes. Standalone television, though, is different. We're not really doing that much anymore, especially with an anthology series. You can watch a random episode. You got your story there, done, bam, 50 minutes. You didn't have to have a commitment of, nope, I got to tune in for the next nine weeks to get the rest of the story. And at 50 minutes long, I mean, they're only about 20 minutes shy of what a lot of 1930s and 40 movies were 70 minutes in length. So you're almost kind of getting a mini movie each week. Certainly some of the weeks play out incredibly well with the use of black and white television. So if you got the use of shadows in some of these episodes, I think is absolutely amazing. Movie quality, really. And the fact that I'm sure we'll talk more about it in a second, but at least in the first season, every episode had an original score which was unheard of really back then and is certainly very rare now because oftentimes you have themes that may carry over the course of a, of a season and you're dealing with some top talent. When the show starts off, Pete Ruglo was the man behind the music. He did the original score. When the show began to change direction, which we'll talk about, he was let go. His theme remained, but he was replaced by Morton Stevens and a little person by the name of Jerry Goldsmith, who, of course, went on to bigger and better things, motion picture history, including Star Trek, the motion picture in 1979, first Star Trek reference of the day. When the show starts off in the first season, Fletcher Markle is the show's producer. He does the first eight episodes. And it is a thriller, as the show is called. They are crime drama thrillers. There's not any horror elements in the show originally. They want to change the tone of the show, liven it up a bit. So they bring in Maxwell Shane. He does the next nine episodes. They start incorporating some horror themes and horror elements, but still kind of leaning toward thrillers, not necessarily full-blown horror. Then William Fry comes in as the producer. At that point, everything pretty much shifts to it being a horror series, and that's the way it remained for the rest of season one and throughout season two, which I think is really where you get your best episodes. Certainly when Maxwell Shane took over and started incorporating some horror stories, things really start picking up. I did watch the first two episodes of the series. I knew going in that these were not going to be episodes that I was going to talk about in length here, but I wanted to see kind of where the show started. The first episode's called The Twisted Image. We get to see Leslie Nielsen in a serious role, which is always kind of weird. And we see Natalie Trundy. People will remember, genre fans will remember from the Planet of the Apes series. She appears in Beneath the Planet of the Apes as one of the mutants. Then she was in 
escaped from the Planet of the Apes is, I can't remember her character name, but she was one of the humans helping Cornelius and Zira. She becomes Caesar's friend <laughs> in the next movie and then eventual wife in the last two movies. It's a thriller. She plays a disturbed woman, uh, essentially, who becomes infatuated with Leslie Nielsen and basically is incorporating herself into his life. I actually thought it was a really good story. No, it wasn't horror, but I thought it was a good thriller. The next story, episode two, is called Child's Play, which was mentioned. This one stars Frank Overton. Star Trek fans will remember him from an episode called This Side of Paradise. There is a young boy played by Tommy, Tommy Nolan. He plays a kid who kind of is in this weird fantasy world. And he's after this big, bad Black Bart character, and he's out to go get him. And it's kind of like he's doing this old West thing in his head. Well, Black Bart is, in his mind, is his dad, because his dad's name is Bart. And his dad has been kind of an absentee father. It's not a great episode, because there is this really long segment where we're seeing the, the couple kind of go through a therapy session. They're basically having this prolonged discussion about what's wrong with their marriage and where things are headed. And meanwhile, the kid is off with his rifle and it. It's not horrible, but it's definitely nowhere near as good as where things were going to be going with the series. I probably wouldn't watch it again. I'd watch the Twisted Image again. I would probably skip over Child's Play. I have a fun fact about Child's Play. Yes. We don't normally like to do spoilers, but I did like the way that that episode ended. You know, after everything's over and the family's reunited with the parents and the kid, they give him a present and he opens it up and it's this doll with red hair named Chucky. (laughs) You caught me off guard as I'm sitting here coughing up along. That caught me off guard. Over the course of two seasons, besides the cast that we'll be talking about, as we work through our episodes, other people on the show included Mary Tyler Moore, a young Mary Tyler Moore. It would have been about what Dick Van Dyke era. Was she in two episodes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Bruce Dern, Rip Torn, Richard Anderson, Oscar Goldman, you know, from Six Million Dollar Man, Elijah Cook from Messiah of Evil. We have Robert Vaughn. We have William Wyndham from Star Trek, George Kennedy. We have Cloris Leachman, Monte Markham. If you don't know who he is, he's the $7 million man. Somebody, I don't know whatever became of him. Richard Chamberlain was in an episode. We could go on and on. And and, we'll and, be and we will go on and on because there's two that I want to add you didn't mention. Okay. Uh, one is Hazel Court from, you know, Hammer Films. Oh, yes, yes. And then the other one, Diana Malay. She's from Dark Shadows. It's always fun to see as you watch these episodes, like, oh, I know that person and that person and that person, this supporting character. Thriller is one of those shows. You're going to see a lot of familiar faces. Stephen King wrote in his 1981 book, Dance Macabre, which is kind of an analysis of the horror genre on screen and in print. He wrote at the time that Thriller was the best anthology series. Is it? I don't know. I guess he was best horror anthology series. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think up to that time, I would say probably because you couldn't really call Twilight Zone a horror series. Alfred Hitchcock was clearly thriller. It wasn't horror. Since then, we've had things like Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, the short run Dark Room. And even now, Creep Show on Shutter. Creep Show. There's probably a good argument that that thriller 
has some amazing stories. And I don't know, and that may still stand. If it's not the best, it's one of the best. An argument could be made. Maybe there's another show out there that that rivals it. The best episodes, and certainly a lot of the ones I've seen, uh, were incredibly well done. At the time, though, Thriller wasn't necessarily a huge hit on television. Kind of right out of the gate, some TV stations began to preempt Thriller for local programming. Not necessarily unheard of, but was rare. Because if you're a network affiliate, this was made for NBC. If you're a network affiliate, you've got to play with the network sends you. But you can preempt certain things occasionally for local stuff. And it just wasn't very common that a local TV station would have something that they'd play over a local. And I don't know why Thriller was preempted. And I don't know how many television stations. I couldn't find anything to support that other than I read several places that that was a problem. And we'll talk about it at the end of the show. There was a key reason why this show didn't last more than two seasons and a bit unfortunate. But for its two seasons, it was recognized. It got a 1961 Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Music for Pete Rigolo and Jerry Goldsmith. It was also a 1962 Hugo Award nominee for Best Dramatic Presentation. While it didn't win either of those awards, it still you know, was getting recognized at least. In the first season, I guess we'll just segue right into my first episode. It's about midway through season one. It's January 3rd, 1961. And my first story is The Hungry Glass, based on a story by Robert Block, screenplay and directed by Douglas Hayes. A beautiful young face in the mirror, a pitiful old face at the door. Could they have been one and the same? Some people say that mirrors never lie. Others say that they do, that they lie, they cheat, they kill. Some say that every time you look in one, you see death at work. But most of us see only what we want to see. And perhaps it's better not to see too deeply into the darkness behind our mirrors. For there live things beyond our imagination, as sure as my name is Boris Karloff. But if you're skeptical, stay with me and watch The Hungry Glass with those others who doubt. William Shatner, Joanna Hayes, Russell Johnson and Elizabeth Allen. Oh, you'll be perfectly safe. That is, if you turn your own mirrors to the wall and make sure that your television screen casts no reflection. Robert Block, of course, well-known. Horror fans will recognize him being the man behind Psycho. Also, episodes of Star Trek. He wrote three stories, What Are Little Girls Made Of in Season 1, Wolf in the Fold in Season 2, which had to do with Jack the Ripper, and Cat's Paw, which was kind of a Halloween episode of Star Trek. It's kind of the cheesy but fun one. Robert Block is definitely bringing a lot of horror cred. In this particular uh, story, we've got a great cast, William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, playing the lead role of Gil Thrasher. Joanna Hayes playing his wife, Marcia. Yes, Joanna Hayes was married to the writer and director, Douglas Hayes. She didn't act very much, and this was her last acting role. 
We have Russell Johnson, a.k.a. The Professor from Gilligan's Island, playing Adam Talmadge, the real estate agent. Uh, Elizabeth Allen playing his wife, Liz. Although she wasn't listed at the opening of the episode, Donna Douglas is seen briefly as the young Laura Bellman. Every episode of Thriller starts off the same way. We get kind of a a tease for what the episode is going to be about. And then we get Boris Karloff showing up, saying a few things, a la Rod Serling, things about the episode. And then he introduces the cast, which is kind of maybe like what they did on other shows at the time. But I I can't think of any show that necessarily did it the same as, as this one did, where he goes through and introduces everybody. And it's always fun when... It's an episode which Karloff stars in because he always kind of quips, that guy looks familiar. Mm. After the break, we then get the story really begins proper. This particular story had Gil and Marsha buying a mansion in New England that is supposedly like right on the coast. You get the idea that it's supposed to be on a cliff, but then like when they show the scenes out the window, it looks like the ocean is like right there, kind of at the ground level, looks a little off. So the house was previously owned by an old woman played by Atola Nesmith. She will appear in two other episodes of the series. She will play in Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, and she will also appear in episode called Pigeons from Hell. Apparently, she was a very vain woman. She became obsessed with admiring her reflection in a room in the attic that was full of mirrors. She eventually will fall to her death through one of those. And she was an old woman at this point. But when she would look in the mirror, you would see the reflection of Donna Douglas, the younger version. So was it really the younger version captured in the image of the mirror? Was it all in her head? Flash forward to years later. Gil and his wife, Marsha, have now occupied the house. The local townspeople know that, hey, that's a haunted house. Gil and Marsha are a little surprised to hear about that. And that's when their realtor, Adam, says, well, there's stories, but, you know, it's just the local stuff. However, turns out, yep, things might be going bump in the night because there is the room in the attic with all the mirrors. Are we going to do spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Spoiler alert. Basically, we get kind of a foreshadowing of what Chatner would do in the Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Gil has apparently had some issues in the past. He's had some mental issues. He's seeing these ghostly images. You know, is he really seeing them? Is he not? He's having a hard time convincing his wife, Marsha. He is obviously a little disturbed. Adam and, and Liz come over for dinner one night. That's the question. Is it all in Gil's head? Is it not? We get to the final scene. He he hears his wife scream. And he basically sees that she's getting sucked into the mirror. And it looks like two people are, are pulling her in. Ghostly images are pulling her in. And she's screaming and he's trying to save her. And so his thought is, I shall break the mirror. So he gets like a poker or something. And... Adam is in the house, and so he hears the screaming. He goes running up, and he finds that Gil has broken the mirror, but he has also been bludgeoning his wife, who was lying dead on the floor. They're going to take her out of the house, and Gil is going to be accused of killing his wife. Gil is mentally not well. 
The final scene, of course, is Adam turning around and sees a ghostly image. I don't know if it's up the stairs or something, but he sees a ghostly image. Of course, no, Gil was not crazy. There really is ghosts bumping in the night. And while he is guilty of killing his wife, unfortunately, he was kind of led down that path by the ghostly images who were somehow trying to suck his wife into whatever other realm that they exist within the mirrors. You have to go back and think maybe the image of the younger Laura, did it capture the younger version of her? Or maybe it was a ghostly image, something that was using the image of the younger Laura to mess with Laura as she was getting older. Maybe it lured her to her death as well. Really well done episode. Very creepy. The, the idea, the, the, the ghostly images were done incredibly well. And William Shatner, I don't think Shatner was like in full-blown Shat mode in this episode. I was definitely getting a Twilight Zone vibe. You know, there's a few moments where he's like, you know, oh, well, I suppose you think I'm not okay then. It was always fun to see Russell Johnson in a non-professor role. He was a good actor back in the day. He was he was solid. He did a lot of stuff. He was kept busy. This one was a really fun episode for me. Obviously drawn to it because of William Shatner. It doesn't pop up, I don't think, on a lot of people's favorite lists. I would definitely recommend it. Probably one of the uh, best early episodes of Thriller that really started to incorporate a more otherworldly and horror elements into the uh, the story. Now, you've seen The Hungry Glass. What did you think of it? don't remember it very well. I did write about it, one of my little blurbs for TV Terror Guide on the blog a while back. The only really critical thing I said about it is exactly what you said. Shatner's performance is similar, but not quite up to par with the one he delivered two years later in the classic Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. I did note that this was only during his first decade of acting. So you're right. He really hadn't developed into the Shatner that we will come to know and love. I think his second appearance later on in this season is probably the more powerful of the two performances. Uh, And I almost, almost did that episode, but I wanted to do the hungry glass because I, I really enjoyed it. And I just, I didn't want to do two Shatner episodes. I'll talk about some of these other ones that I've seen, but I'll talk about this one real quick. He comes back at the end of season one in an episode called the Grim Reaper, which was a teleplay by Robert Block again. In that one, Natalie Schaefer, a.k.a. Mrs. Howell, plays his aunt. She's very eccentric, and she has bought a picture, essentially, of a Grim Reaper that supposedly will drive anyone who owns the painting to suicide or madness to death, essentially. He plays the the nephew who comes to try to convince her to, to sell the painting. The Grim Reaper is really good. It's, a, it's another story that I would definitely recommend. And of the two, I would say that Grim Reaper is better than The Hungry Glass. But that's not to say, again, that I love The Hungry Glass as well. But Grim Reaper's definitely got some creepy elements to it. Like really creepy painting of the, of the Grim Reaper. And, and uh, Shatner's really good in that one. I'll talk about a couple of other first season episodes before I go into the next one. Because we're doing these chronologically. My two come before your two. Just want to mention that another first season episode called The Prediction was the only first season episode in which Karloff actually appeared in the story. And that's a, that's a good one. He plays a kind of a mentalist who 
does, you know, basically was playing the part on a stage act, but now all of a sudden he starts being able to predict the future and it has unfortunate results, mostly because he can't quite convince anyone that he's seeing what he's seeing, but he ends up getting wrapped up in a series of, of events to try to prevent an unfortunate situation uh, involving his assistant. That's a fun story. And I had seen the prediction before. You know, I, I should say, I think that I've seen The Hungry Glass before, but I didn't recall most of it. But I'm pretty sure that I'd seen it before. The prediction I actually did remember, actually remember recording it on VHS back in the day because it had Karloff in it. Uh, another one I saw from the first season was called Well of Doom, which I think was also mentioned. This one stars Ronald Howard, who played Sherlock Holmes in the 1950s TV series. Torrin Thatcher, who people might remember from the Star Trek episode Return of the Archons. Actor Henry Danielle, who has been in lots of different things. He plays Squire Moloch. And Richard Keel, Jaws himself from the James Bond movies. And star of Ega, <laughs> amongst many other things. He plays a character called Master Sticks. That's a fun one where it's got a fun twist ending, which I wasn't exactly, I kind of thought that's where things were headed. I won't give that away, but suffice to say, young man, wealthy, he's going to get married. His fiance is kidnapped on the eve of their wedding. And he is Basically, the devil has found him and says that he got tricked out of land by his father, and now he wants the land back. That one's really atmospheric, has got some great imagery in it, and yeah, definitely a fun one to watch. I also watched Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, with actor, not the composer, but John Williams uh, leading the cast. This was based on a story by Robert Block. Robert Block, I think, has a thing with Jack the Ripper. That was a fun one kind of a modern day search for Jack the Ripper. And then we get into the next story. My second one, Parasite Mansion, which aired on April 25th, 1961. Hospitality. Good old Southern hospitality. That's what I like about the South. This is a room in Parasite Mansion. The name of our story tonight and home of the Harrods, a family plagued for generations with a horrible curse. A parasite Mansion is a terrible place to visit, but obviously an excellent place in which to die. Featured in our story tonight are Jeanette Nolan, James Griffith, Beverly Washburn, Tommy Nolan and Pippa Scott. One of these poor unfortunates is doomed to die before your eyes. Oh, oh, don't try to guess. You might be right, and that would spoil all the fun. This story stars Pippa Scott as Marsha Hunter. She's a young woman traveling, supposedly going to meet her, I think it was fiance down in New Orleans, takes a wrong turn and ends up at the Herod Mansion. Basically, 
bunch of crazy hillbillies living out in the, in the swamps, I guess is the best way to describe it. She was in lots of TV work. She did an episode of Kolchak. I kind of recognized her. I must have seen her on television before. Jeanette Nolan plays Granny Herod. She was in lots of TV. She was the uncredited voice of Norma Bates in Psycho. She was in Twilight Zone, Night Gallery. She's in another episode of Thriller that I'll talk about in a little bit called La Strega. And she was also in Chamber of Horrors from 1966. She kind of plays the crazy granny character. And then you've got a couple of boys there at the home. You have Victor, played by James Griffith. 230 credits, lots of TV work. You'll recognize him when you see him. He was also in The Amazing Transparent Man in 1960. Tommy Nolan comes back and apparently he still has a thing with guns because he's got a gun in this one and he's shooting at people again in this one. He plays Rennie and Beverly Washburn plays the young Lolly Herod. She was 18 years old when this was filmed. Beverly Washburn been acting since age seven. She was in Superman and the Mole Men in 1951. She made Spider Baby in 1964, which got released in 67. We've talked about that on this podcast. I'm trying to remember the episode. It's been quite a while ago, several years, but we did a Lon Chaney Jr. episode. We talked about that. And she was also in the Star Trek episode, The Deadly Years. This story was written by Mary Elizabeth Councilman, adapted by Donald S. Sanford, directed by Herschel Dougherty, who did lots of television He did 16 episodes of Thriller, he did The Six Million Dollar Man, and he did two episodes of Star Trek, Operation Annihilate, and The Savage Curtain. After Marcia takes uh, a wrong turn, her car crashes, and she is taken into the Herod Mansion. Victor kind of comes across as kind of creepy, but as the story plays out, he's actually, he might very well be the most sane one in the bunch. Granny is definitely one of those typical crazy granny characters. And Marcia, she ends up being held captive because the family has a disturbing secret, which we find out to be apparently is a poltergeist or what is being pawned off as a poltergeist. Lolly is kind of locked in a separate room and she, it's led to believe that poltergeist is attached itself to her objects are seen moving around her she gets a scratch on her face that comes out of nowhere she's not totally disturbed but i mean she's been taunted by this poltergeist and is being isolated and the family you know is keeping itself isolated because of of this dark secret because we don't want to unleash the poltergeist on the world marcia is trying to get out of the house and, and is basically told, well, she's not leaving. She's seen too much and she might very well end up dead. As we get to the final act and the poltergeist is seen going a bit crazy, turns out that actually it's not a poltergeist, but it is Granny. Granny is got some type of telekinetic powers and she has been essentially taunting young Lolly. She's just kind of getting crazy Granny. Granny kind of gets her just desserts in the end. She's going to kill Marsha and through a series of events catches on fire and runs out of the house to her death. It's kind of a crazy scene, but it works with everything else going on. And you're led to believe that 
Victor and Rennie and Lolly are now free of this crazy granny who actually, I think, she, I think it was, she's not actually a member of the, of the family. There's some connection, but that's why she's been kind of taunting the family. She's been the one that's been kind of plaguing them. It's a fun story. I, it, it's very, definitely very, very creepy. Scooby-Doo switcheroo, huh? It does kind of. Yeah. When it plays out. You know, there's a fun scene where where Granny is like causing the knife to come to her hand and stuff, and and as Marcia is like nearing death, and she realizes things aren't exactly as she thought they were. She kind of like tries to talk to Victor early in the episode because she's seen things and studied things, and she even kind of at one point I think she, if, if I remember correctly, she mentions something about maybe telekinesis, but then of course sees what is clearly Lolly being plagued by things. And then as it turns out, well, yeah, it's being plagued by granny, not by a poltergeist. The ending kind of comes a little quick uh, in a way. It's kind of like, you know, oh, well, granny's dead and everyone's okay. We kind of forget the fact that, you know, Rennie was still shooting randomly. Rennie's got some issues to work through and, and Lolly is a bit damaged at this point. Victor is as well as how will they recover but the thought is that maybe, you know, now that you got Granny out of the picture, maybe things will, will shape up for them. Parasite Mansion is, is a fun one. Definitely, again, lots of creepy imagery. Uh, the reveal initially of Lolly, and then that could be some poltergeist activity. All that's done incredibly well. Jeanette Nolan really is good as Granny. And I guess she plays a witch character really well. Because she plays a witch in a second season episode. I'll talk about it. I saw it called La Strega, which kind of plays out almost like a Euro horror movie. It stars a young Ursula Andress. I think it's not her mother. It's her grandmother is La Strega, which is the witch. They think that she's a witch. Well, as it turns out, she might very well be a witch. But there is a great kind of twist ending that... You don't really see coming until like right before the reveal and you think, ah, I know where this is headed. Lost Egg is actually a really, really good one. I highly recommend people check that out. Add that to your list. There is one scene where they're dealing with, a, I guess you could say it's like a coven of, of witches and they're dancing in the moonlight. Uh, you know, it, it, unfortunately, they probably should be naked dancing, but they're wearing these weird black leotards. Carla had fun with that. She was like, she said, so are we at a dance recital now or what's going on? <laughs> it seemed a little weird. I would have done something different than Black Leotards. But nonetheless, uh, really, that was a fun one and highly recommended. Jeanette Nolan, again, yeah, she plays the, the, uh, the witch-like character quite well. Parasite Mansion, definitely would recommend that one. That's my two episodes. I did see The Premature Burial, which is early in the second season. I've seen that one before. Karloff does star in that one. It is kind of a nod to Edgar Allan Poe's idea of premature burial with a little bit of a twist. I enjoyed that one. It doesn't pop up on the best of list, but it's got Karloff. So, I mean, I, I think that edges out some of the other probably early season one thriller episodes, certainly, because anything that's got Karloff in it can be fun. I'd recommend the premature burial. That, that's a fun one for sure. We talked a little bit about the show and debut and its changes. And I'm curious, what was it up against? What were some of the other TV shows that were on at this time? I tried to find specifically what Thriller was up against, you know, in its time slot. And I couldn't find that. And I also tried to find 
what its ratings were, and I couldn't find that either. It's probably out there, and my Google Foo was not working 100%. But what I did find, what were the top 10 TV shows in the 60-61 season? And I think you can kind of get a feel for what was popular on TV at the time. So we'll start with number 10 and work our way up. Number 10, we have the Jack Benny Show. Jack Benny had transitioned from old-time radio to, to TV. This, I'm pretty sure, would have been towards the end of his TV show run because he started that in the 1950s, and then he segued into doing specials for a period of time. Number nine, actually tied for eighth place, we have The Untouchables with Robert Stack. And then, honestly, I, I think I knew this at one point, didn't realize, though, entirely that it was a primetime series, The Price is Right mm. game show. I knew that there had been hosts before Bob Barker. I'm fairly certain. But I didn't realize it was a primetime series. Number seven, Candid Camera. Kind of surprised that that was a top 10 show, but I guess it was popular enough. Number six, actually the top six really all kind of have a Western or Southern humor tone. Number six, we had Rawhide, the uh, series that really made Clint Eastwood a Western star. Number five, uh, The Real McCoys. You know, I never liked that show. I've saw a few episodes and it just never clicked with me. And it's not a show that pops up a lot in syndication. It was a comedy. Have you ever seen The Real McCoys? No. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't click with me. But number four, The Andy Griffith Show. That's its first season. That came right out of the gate. To me, those first five seasons of Andy Griffith with Don Knotts are, my gosh, especially those first few seasons. There's so many great classic. Number three, Have Gun Will Travel. Number two, Wagon Train, and number one, Gunsmoke. Western, still very, very popular at this time on television. Anyway, those are the top 10 TV shows in the 1960-61 season. So that's some of the shows that uh, Thriller was up against in the ratings. Thank you for that. My first episode is from season one, episode 36, Pigeons from Hell. It came out on June 6, 1961. is alive, crawling with creatures of death, creatures that lurk, camouflaged in the undergrowth, waiting patiently for an unsuspecting victim. And our young friend was alarmed by a flight of pigeons. Harmless, you say? Well, you'll see that he has good cause for alarm, for those were no ordinary pigeons. They were the pigeons from hell. That is both the title and the substance of our story. Spirits come back from the dead to guard their ancestral home against intruders. Spirits that in life fed on evil and now in death return to feed upon the living. Return each night driven relentlessly by the spell of a terrible curse. In our story, the living... I mean, the players are... Brandon DeWilder, Crayon Denton, and David Wharf. Join us now, as night is falling, in the old house where evil dwells, and tombs. 
brave young brothers dare to intrude. It's based on a short story by Robert E. Howard, and a little bird told me that this was the first time one of his stories had been adapted. I don't know who that bird was. No, I don't either. The adaptation was written by John Nubiel, probably in the genre world is noted for writing The Screaming Skull from 1958. It was directed by John Newland, who also directed two episodes of Star Trek, Errand of Mercy, and I'm sorry, he directed one episode of Star Trek, Errand of Mercy, and he directed the TV movie that we've talked about, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. He also directed three other episodes of Thriller. Pigeons of Hell stars Brandon DeWild from the movie Shane as Timothy Branner. He and his brother Jacob, played by David Worf, are on their way to the fabled South to go to, I believe, a Civil War reenactment. They take a shortcut. They get stuck. Their car gets stuck. They go walking for help, and they find the creepiest house you could possibly imagine finding in the woods in the South. Creepy, scary. One of the boys sees pigeons everywhere. These pigeons kind of come and go. He's usually the only one that sees them. You hear them cooing in the background now and then. It's getting late, so they go in the house to spend the night. Timothy wakes up. His brother is missing. He wanders upstairs and his brother, covered in blood, comes at him with an axe. He runs from the house and falls in the woods. Uh, A little unclear on exactly what happened. I assume he trips and falls, knocks himself out, wakes up. He's been taken to a cabin where he's being cared for. I believe, and help me out here, is it the sheriff that is there? When does the sheriff come in? There's a man that's taking care of him. I got confused on when the sheriff comes in, but the sheriff ends up becoming the other main character. Yeah, I think the sheriff kind of like ends up, I think he appears right after that scene. Okay. There's the scene and then they, then the sheriff ends up showing up, yeah. if I remember correctly. Okay. So Sheriff Buckner played by Crahan Denton. Long story short, weird things going on at the house. The sheriff and Timothy go back there. Strange portrait of a woman on the wall. Noises basically a haunted house. Well, when they get back to the house, they find the brother dead. So there's a point where Timothy's accused possibly of killing his brother, all all sorts of, of just kind of strange things, very unsettling. You don't know what's going on. Something that kind of bothered me about this is the boy keeps wanting to go into town and report this. And For some reason, well, you can't do that. They'll think you did it. And they find some reason to spend the night in the house, which is very odd to me, but (laughs) they do. And another reason is that they want to see what's really going on there. Uh, You know, Timothy explains some of the odd things he's seen. The sheriff doesn't believe him. Well, if you go to town, they're going to think you're crazy. So they're going to stay there and see what really happened, which is kind of odd. But some of the house history comes to light and... There were three sisters that lived there, and there was a, a, it's kind of complicated, but it's the spirits of the dead there that are haunting this house. 
I guess we're giving spoilers. It all ends when they find a secret room with three skeletons of the three sisters. And then the one woman who uh, I don't really (laughs) understand. She's not a skeleton. She's an old lady. Was she still alive? Was she not one of the ghosts? Is that the deal? That's that Atola Nesmith, again, playing a very creepy looking character. I don't know. I kind of got, I got confused by that too. I kind of felt like she was, she was alive, that she had been like living there. I didn't get the feeling that she was necessarily a ghost. Well, there was something about another woman who was not really the sister. Right. The same mother, not the same father. Would Maybe she was a young child when the women were older and had grown up and grown old in the house. Maybe that was it. We might be missing something there. Yeah. I know, you know, and we're, there's probably a listener out there right now who knows this story. Yes. That's well, like, and the, Come on, guys. Yeah, the story, too, by Robert E. Howard. I mean, I tried to find it. I wanted to read the story. I couldn't easily find it. I'm sure it's out there, but not uh, at least in time for this. Could I find it? This is all about the atmosphere anyway, and it is super creepy. It's scary. It's dark. The lighting, the music, the sets. I mean, it's all just very scary. And that is definitely the strong point of this one, even though to me, the story was a little fuzzy. I really enjoyed it. Now, I I feel like the ending confused me a little bit. And now that you're talking about it, I'm feeling like, gosh, maybe I need to go back and rewatch that. Maybe I missed something trying to figure out exactly what that woman's role was. But I also would love to, to find this short story. Pigeons from Halloween, it often gets talked about as being one of the scariest episodes of the series. And I would agree. It's, it's one of the best out of all the ones that I've seen. You know, it certainly will stand as, as one of the best stories. So if you're diving into... You wanting to see the best of the best. You don't want to commit to all 67 episodes. Yeah, Pigeons from Hell definitely should be on the list. It, it's uh, very atmospheric. Going back to what we talked about in previous episodes, sometimes people making odd choices. You know, I'm kind of trying to think when the car gets gets stuck. It's like, why were, why were they driving? It looked like they were driving off-road. And then it's like, okay, so we're stuck out here. I don't know. Let's go into this, clearly this house from hell now, in my youth, I did go into some abandoned houses, and I certainly not the smartest thing to do, because when you're going into some of these old houses, you don't know what you're going to find. I, I had experiences. I was with my parents, actually, in one house, and it was clear that, that it, the house was abandoned, but also clear that maybe somebody had been living there. We heard like somebody move upstairs then. So I don't think that it was the ghost, but it was clear that there was maybe a homeless person or something living or a very large animal. Nonetheless, we kind of hightailed it out of there. This is a funny story. My mom wanted the doorknob. It was some type of like weird porcelain doorknob and she thought it was cool. So my dad sitting there taking the doorknob off, you know, this abandoned house, then we hear this thing go bump upstairs and my mom, oh, time to go. <laughs> and, you know, I'm out of there. And there's his dad saying, got to get the doorknob, got to get the doorknob. You know, my mom is like, you know, Richard, you know, we got to go. Adventures with your parents. Sometimes I look back and think it over a doorknob. The doorknob, once we got it home, sat on dad's workbench and was never, ever used on <laughs> anything. I always think it's like, you know, come on. We went through all that craziness. It was a creepy house, though, because 
they had like a huge mound of newspapers behind the house. Like, I mean, a pit full of newspapers. And I kid you not that on the top of the stack was a newspaper that had like Marilyn Monroe found dead. And so this, this would have been about 1981, 82. Thing is, is like, it must've been put there fairly recent because the papers would have been soaked, you know, and then, and they, you could tell that they had gotten wet and not, but you could, they hadn't been ruined. Very weird. Yeah. I used to do that. I used to go into the houses when I was young. I, I didn't mean, realize you could just go into abandoned houses and take what you wanted. You can't. That's a, <laughs> kids, kids, that's the lesson. Yes. You are trespassing when you do that. When you watch all these videos on YouTube, because that's a whole thing on YouTube, people going to abandoned houses and stuff like that. No, you're trespassing. That is somebody's property. Even though there may nobody be nobody actively living there, somebody owns the property. No, you can't. The only time my mom ever wanted to do that, and all the times that I went, I was just always kind of just exploring, looking around. I would run across weird things. I remember one house, somebody had uh, at one point in that house had the Planet of the Apes trading cards. And there was a big mound of trading cards and they were dirty and I didn't pick them up, but they were just abandoned. Weird side tangent. Heaven forbid we do that on this show. But it just, it, it made me think, it's like, why did they go into this abandoned house? And then I'm like, well, I don't know. I was young and stupid. They were looking for doorknobs. Looking for doorknobs, apparently. I did, I was young and stupid, and I guess I would go into places. That's Carla's pet peeve. On, and, and you have that in like 99.9% of horror movies. Somebody goes into the house when they shouldn't go in the house. You know, she's like, why do people go or they're not invited? And I'm like, yes, but that would like eliminate 99% of the horror movies out there. if People didn't make those choices. Kind of like last month's episode It's like, you know, if you don't make the choice to put your camper out in the middle of nowhere next to the satanic worshipers, we wouldn't have had race with the devil. You kind of have to go with the flow. And I'm wondering that this house in Pigeons from Hell, I'm wondering if it was the same house that was used in several of the other episodes, because there's Big, scary houses that pop up, including Parasite Mansion. And I'm almost positive that it was the same house. They would have been done so close together. There's a lot of similarities in some of these houses. I am thinking I read that somewhere that it it was the same house, but let's not take that as a fact. But I think chances are good. I can't imagine that they would have had access to that many mansions that would have been different. And so I'm sure that it was, was a set. Definitely good, good first choice. I, I enjoyed Pigeons from Hell and actually almost considered it for one of my two episodes, but then you mentioned you were going to do it and then I went a different path. Good choice. Well, thank you. My second is The Weird Tailor. This was season two, episode four. It aired on October 16th, 1961, written by Robert Block based on his short story. It was directed by somebody you already mentioned, Herschel Darty. He directed two Star Trek episodes. You stole my glory on that, the Savage Curtain and Operation Annihilate. And you told me you wouldn't, but that's okay. I did, and I did. I, did, I, I, I just, I rattled it off. I'm so sorry. That's all. A man cries out in vain. His son cannot come back. That is, no power on earth can bring him back. But then, as sure as my name is Boris Karloff, was no earthly power that took him, as you have just seen. 
What just took place behind those doors was strange and terrifying. I wonder just how many of you will have the courage or the curiosity to follow me through them to witness things even stranger and more terrifying. Our story is called The Weird Tailor. And the fabric of our plot is woven by these distinguished players. Henry Jones. George McGreedy. Abraham Sofer. And Sandra Carr. Yes, my friend. They're all waiting for you behind these doors. So come with me. Come before it's too late. Well, in this story, uh, which... As I go, it may sound familiar. I'll tell you why after I give the synopsis. In this story, a drunk son stumbles home and discovers his father is performing some type of satanic ceremony in the drawing room. He wants to get another drink, but between him and the bar is a huge pentagram painted on the floor. And his father says, don't cross that line. Well, if he didn't cross that line, we wouldn't have a story. He does cross the line and poof, drops dead. The father, Mr. Smith, played by George McReady, goes to see a medium, Madame Roberti, played by, let's see if I can get this. I've been looking forward to this. Iphigenie Castiglione. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. All right. She is only able to help him so far. There are lines that she will not cross. Uh, She says, sometimes there are no answers, there are only questions. But this man, Mr. Smith, very rich, would give his entire fortune to bring his son back to life. Again, she won't do it, but she knows someone that will. The little stinger on this little segment is that she says, I can see everything I need to see in this world. And then she reaches down for her seeing eye dog. She is a blind woman. (laughs) Interesting. Nice little start kind of doesn't really have to do with anything. It's a nice little background explanation, I guess, but we don't have any weird tailor yet. So Mr. Smith goes to a used car lot. He is looking for the boss, Honest Abe. Turns out that it is this man he talks to in the parking lot, Nikolai. He has a book that he has been holding on his whole life to sell called Mysteries of the World. There's only three others like it in this world, and he'll sell it for a simple $1 million. Mr. Smith is not certain that it has what he needs. Nikolai will make no promises. That's how he does business. He wheels and deals. But of course, Mr. Smith buys it and he reads it by firelight. And he discovers that there is a way to bring his son back. Now all he has to do is find the right man to do it. And that is Eric Borg, played by Henry Jones. He and his wife, Anna, played by Sandra Black, own a tailor shop. Uh, Is that what you call it? It doesn't seem right. He's a tailor. They have a little shop. It's 
doing poorly. They're behind on their rent. The landlord is sending his thug to collect rent all the time. But he basically is going to hire this tailor to make a special suit that will bring his son back to life. He has used the book sort of as the plants or the pattern for the suit. It has to be sewed only during certain hours. It has to be special material. It can't have buttons, all of these special requirements. And so it's a little unusual, but he is going to get $500, the tailor, if he makes the suit. So that's the answer. His problems get out of his financial troubles is to make the suit. Turns out Mr. Borg is kind of abusive to his wife, and she has taken solace in the companionship of a mannequin. It resides in the back room. (laughs) If only you could see Richard shaking his head. So long story short, he makes the suit. He takes it to the guy who really, it turns out, is destitute. He's living in an apartment because he spent his last million dollars buying the book can't even pay for the suit, the $500 that he promised. So they have a scuffle. Mr. Smith is accidentally killed by the weird tailor. Prior to that, the weird tailor noticed that Mr. Smith, although he may be poor now, has a nice new refrigerator. And when he opens it, there, shocker, is the body of his dead son. Taylor, kind of freaked out, runs back to his wife, says, you've got to burn the suit gets a little physical with her again. And so he goes to the pub to kind of drown his sorrows. Uh, When he gets home drunk, he finds out his wife didn't burn the suit. She put it on the mannequin, Hans. Hans was the name of the mannequin. And the mannequin comes to life as he's attacking his wife and kills him. She wanders back into the room and says to Hans, just you and I will be together. Now, this is familiar because this was also a segment of my favorite amicus anthology, Asylum. This is something I want to ask you now about both episodes I watched. Maybe it's because I'm familiar with the Asylum story. Maybe it's not, but this seems padded. I don't really know if we need that whole background of how the son died and that the father is involved in satanic. I mean, the way it's presented in Asylum, it picks up where Mr. Smith is going right into the tailor and you don't see that whole backstory. You're dealing with running time. Asylum, it was part of an anthology movie. So you couldn't take up 50 minutes of runtime in order to make it work for Thriller. They had to flesh out the story. But I wonder, did they or did Asylum cut it back? And this, again, was another short story I wanted to find and read by Robert Block, and I could not find it. So I'm curious. I don't know. You know, I really shouldn't be comparing it, but I do prefer the Asylum version. Plus, it has Peter Cushing. The thing that really bothered me about this is the mannequin. I don't know if you agree or not, but it is just obviously a man the whole time. Not only the fact that he it's actually moving, he's kind of wobbling a little bit because you can't stand still that whole time, but also his face. Haven't seen a mannequin that looks like it's wearing makeup and it's not complete because it's not smooth on the neck. There are globs. Maybe mannequins used to look that way. I don't know. But that (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) I, I knew right off the bat. That's a budgetary thing that you you see that in. How can that be? Get a real mannequin. How much do those cost? Well, I I think, though, because I've seen other TV shows do this, right, where someone's like supposedly 
like, you know, frozen or something comes to life. The idea of the actor stand still, don't move, you know, (laughs) inevitably they're going to move. Yeah. They kind of can pull you out of the moment a little bit here. Yeah. You would have thought that they could have easily gotten a mannequin and maybe with some makeup or something, got it to resemble, maybe found an actor to resemble it because the actor doesn't do much. Well, in those early scenes, use the mannequin and then not yeah. do any elaborate special effect or anything. Yeah. When the times comes from to come to life, use yeah. the man. There could have been too stark a difference, maybe. I agree, because unfortunately, by using the actor and you know that it's an actor, then you kind of that kind of spoils what, where things are headed. Knowing the story, I knew where it was headed anyway. I, I got a comment, though. You know, Henry Jones always plays kind of a mousy character in anything I see him in. Sometimes he'll play kind of the bad guy. I mean, obviously, in, in The Six Million Dollar Man, he, he plays uh, Dr. Dolans, who creates the John Saxon robot and then the Oscar Goldman robot in season two, two classic episodes of the show. Even though he's, you never get the idea that he's a bad guy, he's a mad scientist, but he's not physical. Here, yeah, it was kind of weird seeing him in, in kind of the physically violent role towards his wife. And that's another thing in the asylum story, the tailor is very nice and kindly with the finger to hurt anyone, which makes the murder, the accidental murder, a little more realistic than it was an accident and not just a violent outburst. In here, you're kind of like, oh man, he's just kind of getting his just desserts in a way. It's, It's kind of plays out differently. And then you have the whole wife in this one who clearly dealing with some issues Obviously, she's escaping reality with her imaginary boyfriend, Han. Hopefully, the two of them lived happily ever after. I don't know how that would have worked. Hopefully, it did. I still enjoy this one, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm being picky. Back to my question about the length. And what I'm getting at here is I think both of my episodes were a little bit padded. To me, I mean, they have very, very strong points. But I don't know that there's anything really that compels me to dig a whole lot deeper into thriller other than those you know better episodes is how are the other episodes i'm getting at is this better suited for a 30 minute are the stories really in other episodes substantial enough to support an hour it's going to be kind of a roller coaster ride i i think of twilight zone right if i had five seasons four of the five seasons were half hours they had the one season where they expanded to an hour And I always found that the hour episodes at Twilight Zone always seemed very padded. They seemed like 30-minute episodes that were expanded to an hour for no other reason than let's make it an hour. And then there's a reason why the show goes back to 30 minutes then in that final season. The Alfred Hitchcock show starts off as 30 minutes and expands to an hour. That may have even been how it ended was as the Alfred Hitchcock hour. Well, I haven't seen all of those. I do remember that some of the hour-long episodes of Alfred Hitchcock seemed padded. Sometimes a short story is best as a 30-minute story. Of the ones that I've seen with, with a thriller, I would say that some of them seemed padded. Others seemed to move along at a brisk pace, you know, even though you're looking at an hour. You saw yeah. some other ones, too. Do you want to talk about those? So I saw Masquerade, which is not the scariest thriller episode, but it is a lot of fun. Elizabeth Montgomery, Tom Poston, and John Carradine, and it is a black comedy. 
It's got a fun twist at the end that I'll admit I didn't see coming. Maybe it was choreographed. Maybe other people would say, oh, come on, you should have seen it. I didn't. Elizabeth Montgomery is amazing in that. She's just so witty with the dialogue. It really, really works. Probably would have played maybe a little better as 30 minutes, but I don't know. You you would have missed some of the fun dialogue because John Carradine was fun in that too. And so the dialogue doesn't really make it seem drawn out. Last of the Somervilles, that was with Boris Karloff, directed by Ida Lupino, who starred in last month's Devil's Reign. That one was really good. That one had a fun kind of twist ending to do with being buried, <laughs> buried alive, trying to get money out of, out of a casket and going into this like a tomb that was basically partially underwater and gaining more water. Uh, that was that was actually, that was fun. Dialogues with Death had Boris Karloff. That was actually two stories in the hour format. They did that a few times. I think one, there's even one that has three stories. They didn't do it very often, but in this, in this case, Dialogues with Death, it worked well. Now I'm thinking Last of the Somervilles, I may be confusing that with one of the other stories in Dialogues with Death. I think I am. In any case, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I, I am. Last of the Somervilles, that was a different plot. That was fun, though. Dialogues of Death had Karloff in two roles, one of which was a character where he kind of talks to the dead. And I saw The Return of Andrew Bentley, which starred John Nolan. John Nolan hosted 74 episodes of One Step Beyond. And so when that show ended in 61, he did Thriller. He went on to do 25 episodes of The Next Step Beyond in 78, 79. That also had Antoinette Bauer from a Star Trek episode Catspot, had Terrence DeMarnay, who played in a Doctor Who episode with the first Doctor, The Smugglers. So a Doctor Who reference. That was a good one to do with his uncle was a sorcerer of sorts and another sorcerer was wanting to, to steal his body. The Hollow Watcher, which I saw pop up on a lot of people's favorite list, that has Warren Oates in it. I love him as an actor. That one was not bad. Basically, think of it as Scarecrow come to life with a twist. The ending of that one fell a little flat. Both Carl and I were kind of like, eh, good creepy story up till the final scene. It was a little disappointing. And then, of course, The Incredible Dr. Marcazan, which is considered one of the best episodes of Thriller, Boris Karloff. Being his most Boris Karloffy, you know, <laughs> that's what <laughs> Dick York also stars in that one. And I highly recommend that. I would recommend those episodes that I've seen and maybe do some other searches. Check out Thriller. Don't give up on it. I really enjoyed all the episodes I've watched with Thriller. I'm going to be working my way through the series. I know there'll be good and bad episodes. Don't want to give the impression I didn't enjoy them. Do you have anything about the legacy of Thriller or any related information I, about the I, series to share? I do have a little bit. Thriller ended after two seasons rather abruptly, partially because, as I mentioned, some TV stations were preempting it for local programming. But the biggest reason had to do with Alfred Hitchcock. He was bringing his Alfred Hitchcock hour to television in the fall of 62, and he didn't want the competition. He felt that TV wasn't big enough for two hour-long anthology shows. And since Hitchcock had a bit more stroke than Thriller did, because it wasn't really Karloff's show, he was the host of it, where Hitchcock was definitely involved, both as the host, but also involved much more in the production of his show. He had a bit more say, and so Thriller was canceled after two seasons. 
I honestly feel like Thriller could have gone on. I think that what I've seen in the second season, episodes were still really strong. There was no reason why it should have been canceled. Maybe a little bit of ego involved there with Mr. Hitchcock. Thriller did live on initially as a comic book. Gold Key Comics published the first issue of Boris Karloff Thriller in October of 1962. Uh, It ran for two issues, jam-packed, really, 25 cents, 80 pages, no ads, basically horror anthology comic book. How many stories? Gosh, so the first issue has got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 stories. A little less, though, in, in the second issue. Looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight solid comics, obviously. Very thick cover, cardboard cover, definitely a lot of fun. So these two are, would have been probably already in the mix before a thriller got canceled. So with issue three, Uh, It becomes Boris Karloff, Tales of Mystery. When outlived Boris Karloff, Gold Key continued to make Boris Karloff, Tales of Mystery, uh, ran for 97 issues and ended in 1979, which was kind of the end of the Gold Key comic era as well. Thriller did go into syndication. Thriller is a show that has kind of fallen off the radar. Everyone kind of is aware of it, but... Finding it is a lot harder. Thriller, the complete series, was released on DVD from Image Entertainment. I don't have the exact release date in front of me, but I think it's been quite a long time ago now, probably close to 10 years ago. It's still in print. It still has kind of a hefty price tag. It sells for $80 right now on Amazon, less than a dollar an episode. Not a bad deal, I guess. It is available for streaming on the Roku channel if you have that but only some season one episodes. The uh, episodes are not on Amazon Prime. They're listed, but then they say they're not available. There is a season two episode of Thriller called actually one of those, the ones I saw, The Return of Andrew Bentley. That's apparently public domain. That does happen with weird, some television episodes. If one episode is not listed when they're renewing the copyright, that episode will go public domain. That happens with like Bonanza, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffiths. Some of the shows from that time period fall in public domain. The theme music is copyrighted. So oftentimes they have to substitute the theme. If you watch Bonanza or Beverly Hillbillies on some television networks that don't necessarily, they're not like the A-list networks. They're like kind of the digital sub-networks. When they play those episodes, they'll have like a substitute theme but the rest of the episode is intact. It's kind of weird. That's how they get by. They can play it, but the episode itself is public domain. So that episode, and then there's a thriller promo that was made. Uh, It's on the DVD set. That's also public domain. So you can find that. And then that uh, episode of thriller pop up in a lot of different places. All of the episodes as we speak are currently on YouTube Someone's uploaded them in the not-too-distant past. But, of course, there's no guarantees they're going to be there So how long. So if they're still there when this episode goes live, I would probably watch those sooner than later because they could end up getting copyright dinged against them and then they end up having to be pulled down. Uh, The quality, when I watched it, wasn't up to par with the DVD. 
looks more like a VHS dub quality, but not bad. It's absolutely watchable. And again, considering how hard this is to find anywhere else, unless you're willing to pay $80 for the DVD, streaming is going to be a bit difficult. So that's your best option and certainly is not going to take away from your enjoyment of it. There's no talk about this being released on Blu-ray. I think at this point, it probably won't. It should. It's a great series, great cast. you got Boris Karloff in it. It's worthy. That's about all I've got for Thriller. Do you have anything else? Just want a little footnote, really. There is another series called Thriller from the UK in the 70s. Absolutely nothing to do with Boris Karloff or this. It is the brainchild of Brian Clemens, who was the driving force behind the Avengers. Not Marvel Comics, but Mr. Steed and Emma Peel. Everything I hear, that was a great series. Have you ever seen any of those episodes? Shout Factory TV will play them periodically. They've got a free channel on Pluto, and they've also got a channel on uh, Sling TV. And I will see every once in a while. In fact, I think the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, Boris Karloff's Thriller. And I clicked and was like, wait a minute, it's color. (laughs) I don't think I've seen a complete episode. I've seen bits and pieces. What I've seen looks pretty good. That's all I had, and that really didn't have anything to do with it. (laughs) Well, let's take a break. We have not taken a break, and we'll come back and do new business. New from Supermates Recordings. Chilling sounds from the house of Frankenstein. The blood-curdling sounds of horror in one four-episode set. Featuring your favorite stars from classic spooky films. Lon Chaney Jr. and Bella Lugosi. The father was Frankenstein. That your mother was the lightning. Peter Cushing and Stephanie Beecham. The night has over. And Christopher Lee. I have returned to destroy you. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. I'm going to haunt him. That's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Heather Langenkamp and Johnny Depp. Do you believe in the Pokemon? No. And Robert England. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Here's more. The hit House of Frankenstein theme by Terry O'Malley. Order now and you'll receive bonus comic stories featuring your favorite superheroes versus fiendish monsters. Offer ends October 31st and it's not available in any store. Here's how to order. To order the chilling sounds from the House of Frankenstein, save all credit card and COD charges by visiting fireandwaterpodcast.com or search for Fire and Water Podcast Network or Supermates. Podcatchers are standing by. Richard, we'll start new business off with a comment. You said they're not putting out TV shows anymore. Uh, I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably misrepresenting what you said, but our first home video release in October on the 12th is Kolchak the Night Stalker, the entire series on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber. Well, you proved me wrong. It does happen. (laughs) And I don't have it on the list, so it must be coming out. I think it's later in November, maybe, but also Night Gallery is coming out on Blu-ray, the entire series. See, you proved me wrong again. Well, but yet I understand what you're saying. These are classics, but more modern classics. They're not really doing the old. You you even said old-time TV earlier. Night Gallery is not that far after Thriller, uh, and neither is Kolchak. There's still hope that Thriller could get a release then. I kind of forgot those two were coming out. I think a lot of it has to do with whoever owns the rights and do they just do a straightforward high def, you know, upgrade? Will it really that much different than what we got on, on DVD? 
also sales numbers. Let's be honest. It, it all depends on how well the first set sold. And I don't know, you know, Thriller being maybe not as well known, but it's got Morris Karloff's face. So I'd be curious to know how well the original DVD set played out. And I don't know if I said the date, October 12th is when that comes out. A week later on the 19th, we've got several releases. A movie from 1948 called Corridor of Mirrors is coming from the Cohen Film Collection. Not strictly horror, but it sounds interesting and creepy. A man falls in love with a beautiful young woman and begins to suspect that he may have also loved her in a previous life. Oh, well, that's interesting. Kind of like those reincarnation types. Yeah. We also have from the film detective two films. One is Frankenstein's Daughter from 1958. For some reason, I don't have the second one written down, but you mentioned it earlier. The Amazing... Amazing Mr. X. Yes. So those are both uh, coming from Film Detective. Turhan Bay, which I loved him as an actor. I have seen that movie and I can't recall too much about it, but I remember it's fun. Public domain, so it, it pops up on some sets out there. Frankenstein's Daughter. It's been a while since I've seen that one. It's clumped in sometimes with like... The Teenage Werewolf, Teenage Frankenstein-esque mm. movies. Do you remember? Have you? Seen, I, I know I've seen it. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. It's got some rough makeup effects. It's definitely B-movie territory, probably B-minus, C-plus-ish. On October 26th, pushing the limits of our range, but I have to say it just to give a little reveal about my psychology. It's a movie called Killer Party from 1986, coming out from Shout Factory. Back in the day when I was a married man, I wanted to see Killer Party. And my wife at the time refused to go see it with me. Not that I hold a grudge or anything, but why would I remember that so many years later? And I have yet to see that movie. Uh, I don't know that I'll buy it, but I I at least want to see Killer Party from 1986. I can say I've never heard of Killer Party. So <laughs> it has a great poster, uh, you know, a dancing like at the prom, yeah. a woman, but it's a skeleton dancing with her. Also the same day, a movie called Boarding House from 1982 coming out from Agfa. I don't know if you've seen any of the other releases from Agfa. They're the ones that did Curious Dr. Hump and... <laughs> Uh, so yes. it's, you know, a kind of a cult film, I guess you would say. Cult, eclectic. Yes. yes, it's, yes. Yeah. It comes out October 19th. I'll mention it, but we talked about it quite a bit last time. Incredible Shrinking Man is coming on Blu-ray from Criterion. November, the first couple of weeks, uh, we've got quite a package coming from Kino Lorber. Four films, all early golden age horror films. First of all, Secret of the Blue Room from 1933, The Mystery of Edwin Drood from 1935, The Spider-Woman Strikes Back from 1946, and The Mad Doctor from 1940. All coming on blue. I know at least one of them, Mystery of Edwin Drood, has previously only been available on DVD from Universal Vault. I know that because I needed to watch it, couldn't find it, and had to order it. And of course, now it's coming out on Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure that Secret of the Blue Room was a vault release. And uh, if Spider-Woman Strikes Back was released, it was also that way. I don't know that Mad Doctor has ever been given an official release. That's got Basil Rathbone in it. I've got the bootleg of that. That's a fun movie. Any releases I missed that are coming out between now and the middle of November? 
I have to ask that now because I usually always miss something that you know about. You know, I I don't know of anything. I don't I don't think that that's coming out. Well, let's jump to birthdays and anniversaries. Three birthdays I'll mention from October and November that tie into previous episodes we've done. October 20th, 1882, Mr. Bella Lugosi. We did an episode 21, Bella Lugosi Lives. November 3rd, 1961. I'm doing it again, Richard. Every episode, I'm finding a way to bring this in. Lee Montgomery. He was in Ben. That was episode six, Oh Rats. Ben, yes, okay. (laughs) November 3rd, 1925, Robert Pori, Count Yorga, episode 39. We talked about those two movies. Anniversaries. October 29th, 1958, I Married a Monster from Outer Space. We talked about that in episode 44, I Married a Blob at the Drive-In. October 31st, 1962, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. We talked about that in episode 38, A Happy Hagsploitation Holiday. And then finally, November 4th, 1955, Tarantula was released. And we talked about that just a couple months ago in episode 58, Back to the Drive-In Part 1. I have a bonus anniversary. I can't tie it to anything, although maybe we should do this at some point. I always think of you when I see this. want to remind you that one of your favorites came out October 14th, 1972, What the Peeper Saw. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, every time I see that on the shelf, I have to chuckle. That's a fun one. I'll throw back a reference. We mentioned the spider baby earlier and I I do have, we did that back in episode 27, our Lon Chaney Jr. episode. We did it with man-made monster and the alligator people made in 64 released in 67. Great. Great. Thank you for that. We come now to the question I ask, what's up with you, Richard? Well, it's October, so I'm going to be watching lots of romantic comedies this month, (laughs) some dramas, maybe some musicals. No, it's Halloween month. It's time to do what we do the rest of the year, but just do it a little bit more and enjoy some some good horror movies, which has been fun coming off the heels of, of a lot of Harold Lloyd films. It's fun to kind of shift gears and watch a lot of horror movies. I've got the list made out for for Carl and I to make our way through. Well, remember, we are halfway through because this is middle of October. This is true. This is true. We're doing a little bit of time traveling, but I do have the list. Some new films, some old, and uh, introducing her to some stuff. Also making our way through the blog, which a lot of the the movies that we have on our list are going to be also covered over at caseycinephile.com and monstermoviekid.wordpress.com doing the 31 Days of Halloween countdown. We talked about our special little preview video we uh, released a couple weeks ago. Going to be looking at basically some of our favorite horror movies of the 20s through the 70s. I, I changed up a little bit. No sooner Whoa, did we, what happened? Well, no sooner did we do the video, I, I decided to make some, some changes. I tweaked things a little bit. I'm not going to be doing what I like about the movies because I found that that was going to be perhaps a bit repetitious because I wanted to keep Carla included in kind of everything. You know, some of the movies we initially chose weren't necessarily movies that Carla gravitated towards. And so I made some tweaks because I was like, I wanted to make sure we covered stuff that we both liked. That did mean that Carnival of Souls isn't going to make the list, but there's always plenty of movies in every decade. 
And everything that we added was some really fun stuff. Tweaked it a little bit, doing like eight days of 1950s movies. Because surprisingly, that there's not as you know when you look at the movies, horror movies, there there was kind of that period in the late 40s where things got a bit slim. I'm actually uh, really happy with the way the list has has kind of ended up. There's still a few things on there that that are more my choices than Carla's, and there's some that she hasn't seen yet, but I'm fairly confident that she'll enjoy. Where we stir things up a little bit, and this was Carla, she's like, why aren't we doing the Abominable Dr. Fibes on the blog? And I said, well, we're going to watch it, but it's 1970s. And she said, so (laughs) it needs to be on the list. So I said, you know, you're right. We're going to stir it up a little bit. We're saving a couple of 1960s movies for Halloween weekend. But that Friday before, we're going to dip our toes into the 70s. When your wife wants to watch Dr. Fives, that's, those are two of her favorite movies. She's she a keeper. Surprise. Unlike yes. that Chris Franklin's wife doesn't yeah, like I know. Dr. Fives. <laughs> I felt, you know what, I could I can bump Carnival of Souls so we can do a day of Dr. Fives. Absolutely. I, I would be remiss if I didn't allow Mr. Vincent Price to have another day in the 31 days. Actually, fun list, having some fun with it. And I've kind of, you know, if you've seen the, the post, kind of I played around with the little the format a little bit. So it's I, basically not too different from what I mentioned in the video a couple of weeks ago, just made some tweaks to the list of films and adding the 1970s in there for one day so we can get Mr. Fives, Dr. Fives in the list. So that's what's going on this month. Got a stack. I decided after I I went uh, excavating this morning into the comic archives to get the uh, Thriller and Boris Karloff comics that I have. I don't have this complete run, but I've got a nice stack. I'm going to be reading those throughout the month of October. I have read most of these, all except for two issues, and I, I, you know, honestly, I don't remember much about them. I'm going to be rereading the series this month, kind of to do some horror comics during October, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So now these have been brought upstairs from the from the depths, the bowels of the Chamberlain Archive. archive. The Chamberlain uh, Crypt. The Chamberlain Crypt. I think oh, you're but... going to need to change the name of your blog to... I don't know what, I don't know how you can do both, but if Carla's going to be helping you out, and I'm I'm serious about this, think about it. It should be like Bride of Monster Movie Kid or something. Bride of Monster Or have a, a section that's Bride of Monster, you know, so that if Carla's well, going to be participating, that I think that's kind of clever and kind of cute. You know, that's the fun thing. Uh, when I launched it, I was married to my first wife, Jerry, who was not really into horror movies very much. So it was my thing. Carla loves old horror movies now yeah when we get to the 70s yeah she's not as big a fan of of 70s uh, or the contemporary stuff some stuff but if it's old and if it's anything pre-1970 she's on board and loves almost everything that we've watched with very few exceptions she's not as big into the frankenstein movies because she feels sorry for the monster. You know, Carla's very sensitive and she feels sorry for the monster. And she also feels sorry for the Wolfman. And so those aren't go-tos for her. But when she recommends Dr. Fives and she recommends Mexican horror movies, and she says, well, we're going to have Santo represented, aren't we? Okay, that makes up for the fact that she may not be as big on the Frankenstein movies. She's, she does the deep dive and loves some stuff. And those are going to be some of the fun things, actually, that we put up on our list that might not be expected 
You know, I don't think people would expect some of the stuff we're going to throw up there. That's what I'm doing this month, watching horror movies go figure. What about you? Well, same thing, you know, 31 days, 31 movies off of my DVR, trying to get some space. I will. I love your format, by the way, on your blog. I love the, 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 the top logo where we're watching the countdown <laughs> and, and how you incorporated the Crypt Keeper. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, into that to that uh, top logo that that I love that that's very cool. And I also have a new rating system. I don't know what I think about that yet. And maybe it'll be gone and, by the time this. But instead of just stars, and the whole thing with my blog is that it's organized by the different what I call ages of horror. So if I do a silent movie uh, now, the rating system is um, one or however many out of ten Phantom of the Operas. Um, if it's uh, the 70s, the occult age that I call it, it's however many possessed children out of 10. So I don't know, just something a little different. But I yeah, I so like that. I'm, thank you. I'm clearing off the DVR and I, I'm going to share this because coincidentally, and this is kind of, I don't know if I'm breaking a taboo here, but Richard, I don't really watch a movie every day, write about it right away. I kind of work ahead a little <laughs> I just last night watched a movie, and I think coincidentally it's going to actually be posted right around the time that this goes out. The Land Unknown. This was from a Sven Gulli episode. You asked me about that. Just a movie I'd never seen, and I had recorded it on Sven Gulli, so I'm going to write about it. Kind of a spoiler alert. That movie's kind of fun. I've always dreaded it because of yeah. the dinosaurs that are obviously people in a costume, but let me tell you, I prefer those people in the costumes over the real lizards that they use. I just never wow. have bought a, a real lizard as a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. You, know? <laughs> I, you know, I ran across that comic book this morning as I was going oh, through yeah? the archives, working my way through boxes. I was like, oh, I forgot that I had the land unknown. Yeah. That's on the blog. And then I got to keep plowing ahead on some book work. The, the next, next book that'll come out probably in three years is about anthology movies, interestingly. And the two I'm going to write about are Dead of Night, which not the famous 40s one, but there was a Dan Curtis TV movie, Dead of Night, that oh, was an anthology. Yeah. And then also Twilight Zone, the movie. That one I'm really looking forward because you know, of course, I'll have to watch the Twilight Zone episodes that go with the uh, stories that are in the movie. Going to be writing about those. And I think that's... Probably it. That's plenty for the month of October. You know what else I'm going to be doing in October is watching movies for our next episode. I will probably be squeezing some of those in myself. And I <laughs> can't forget about watching, that. I will probably be watching those by myself yes. because we know, well, we know, but the, the listeners don't know yet. Not one of Carla's favorite stars or topics. Should we, should we reveal yes, what we're covering? Yes, tell us. Okay. What are we doing next month? It's November, so we're going to do a Nashi November. We are finally going to enter the world of Paul Nashi. I will say it now. I will say it again next month. We are not the Nashi experts. You are looking for the Nashi experts. You can find Rod Barnett and Troy Howarth out there. We will mention them, I'm sure, on the show more than once. I'm sure that we will be referencing their commentaries and their books and uh, or, or Troy's books. I mean, they're the experts, but doesn't mean we can't enjoy Nashi. It doesn't mean we can't offer up our thoughts as the noobs on the block. 
I think maybe I've seen a little more nasty than you have, maybe, but I don't know. I've made my way through most of the two Paul Nashi collections from Shout Factory, but I still have a nice stack of Nashi to watch. We are covering Nashi's more horror-themed movies, because, I mean, he did do more than horror. We're covering Vengeance of the Zombies from 1973, The Mummy's Revenge, which I'm pretty sure was 75, and Beast and the Magic Sword from 1983, which is a fairly recent Blu-ray release from Mondo Macabro. Mummy's Revenge was, was it Scorpion releasing? That, that wasn't a Mondo release, but that came out on Blu-ray in the last couple of years as well. We may not do as deep a dive into the career as, of Paul Nashi as, as we've done with others, but I have a feeling we will probably talk about what he did before, what he did after. It's going to be fun. I don't know if you've seen more. I think I've seen, I think we've seen different Nashi movies because I've seen like El Caminante and Inquisition. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, I have not. No. We can compliment each other with the movies. So let's wrap up October then and Halloween. Let's remind everyone to call and give us a happy Halloween greeting that we can play on the show. I guess it'll be after Halloween. So never mind that. But any type of greeting that you can give on the show. 616-649-2582 is the hotline number. You can also email classichorrors.club at gmail.com or join our Facebook group page, The Classic Horrors Club Podcast. Richard, we're going to go out on another version of Thriller. This is an acapella version by Duende. I actually don't know what it's from. They do have a CD or album called Remember the Music of Michael Jackson, Volume 2, which came out in 2016. So I'm going to assume this is from Volume 1, but I could not find that, and I don't know when it came out. Nevertheless, you know, I only play little bits, but watch this on YouTube and get to the part of the, what do they call it when Vincent Price does the narration? They call it something. Anyway, that's really good in this version of Thriller. Happy Halloween to everybody. Be yes. safe, trick-or-treating. Check, Happy your, Halloween. check your jello molds for dentures. Oh, <laughs> I saw a thing online where, you know, it's like, when you go trick-or-treating this year, make sure your parents check your candy. And for some reason, it was a jello mold, you know, in a, like a bunt pan that had dentures all in the jello. I remember back in the day often getting jello molds, you know, yes. uh, from the from the neighbor ladies. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's close to midnight and something evil's lurking in the dark. Under the moonlight, you see a sight that almost stops your heart. You try to scream, but terror takes us out before you make it. Yeah. You start to freeze As horror looks you right between the eyes You're paralyzed